The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back. Rebel Podcast, P Nate, Pooty, Garage Mahal, popping off. You're either subdued, extremely tired, or sage like right now. I don't. I was going for like mystical sagely? sage yeah, yeah. because, like, I feel like sometimes I bring a lot of energy to the beginning and then I talk later and I feel like I've fallen asleep. So, so you're, what you're trying to do is curb the expectations. I'm trying to do what we talked about in our last. I'm trying to flip the script to Pooty. Pooty's not the wacky co-host. Pooty is the sage-like, like, he's the, like he, low energy, but <laughs> says wise things. Like wise got guy. Like, like I've got a cigar. I'm good looking. It's all great. Um, but I was thinking about- Hey, I got like, a question for you. Oh, hit me. Oh, uh, yeah. So I know you usually, yeah, here we are. We're the Rebels. We're part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Go download the app. Yeah, all that stuff. I got a question for you. I love it. I wanted to remember to ask this, and I feel like I, we never remember things from one week to the, the next or whatever. So have you made your bed at all this week? <laughs> yes, I have. Yes. Um, now I sanctification, sh- Pooty. sanctification. <laughs> let me, let me point out, you guys are going to get a little insight into my marriage. I am up before my wife. A lot of times, like I can't make the bed because she's the last one up. So like you don't push her out to make the bed. Exactly. So like good. I've left for work before mm. she's necessarily like always like up and about, but then like, other days, like she makes it the moment she wakes up. And so like soon she gets out of bed, she's made it. But I have. Okay. So what you're it. saying is opportunities are scarce, but when they're there, you jump exactly. on them. I did the thing All that right. we talked Good about. For you. Um, Good I for did you. think about like flipping the switch, uh, the, the flip, the, flipping, flipping the, the script. That's the word I was trying to find it. on names. Yeah. And cause I was just like, I was thinking about like, you know, maybe it might be time to retire Pootie. Um, You've tried in. this so many times, Chris. So like I did some research. One of my good friends, I don't know why I didn't think of the story last week when we were talking about telling a different story about your life. His name was DJ all through public school. And he came to high school and he just like day one in grade nine was like, my name's Tyson. To the point where like, as soon as I said his name, when I said DJ, you had no idea. No, who I had no idea about. who you're but talking as soon about. As I said Tyson, you're like, oh, I know who that is. Yeah. And so it's just because he just, he flipped the switch on his life. Like he, he decided like, I'm going to run. I'm going to get thin because he was a bit of a, like a fat guy. And then all of a sudden he's like, I changed my name and he's a totally different dude. And now it's like, he's very much Tyson. Like yeah. you wouldn't like be like DJ to the point where I remember crossing the border one time when this was a thing that you could do, they asked us, and I was like, dude was in my wedding party. And he was like, so uh, which one of you is David? I had another guy in the car that was named David. And I'm like, this guy. And he's like, uh, and I'm just like, David, who's David? This guy, oh, that's Tyson. Like, yeah. like the border guard was like, like, and he's like, get okay. out of the car, please. Well, it was yeah. just like pull over. Yeah. And it was like, oh, oh we always whoops. get pulled over anyway. But, yeah. like, but I was like, that's funny. And then I was thinking of like the other time in movies that this happened. And I can't believe, I'm actually a little ashamed. It's one of my favorite movies. Life of Pi. 
when he goes uh, in and he yes. just starts writing pie on the wall. And I'm yeah. like, that is the flip the script like yeah. narrative. And I was just like, so I was just, I just had to get that out. No, no, that's good. I was very upset that I didn't think of either of those stories when we talked an entire thing about changing a narrative of somebody's identity. And like, obviously we didn't talk about the fact that like, you know, that's literally sanctification, dead to life, new creation. So I'm just going to say we dropped the ball. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, here's the thing. If that's, a, that's actually a really good segue because people seem to actually like the episodes where we just kind of get really practical with stuff like that. I mean, I, I guess that there was a lot of, you know, high level, big idea stuff. Pontificating? Stuff, pontificating, as we like to say. But just sort of that like biblical counseling kind of stuff, right? Like I, I do share that often when parents come in struggling with, with stuff like this. And so today we're actually going to do a similar episode, not a similar theme at all, but similar in that we're going to kind of talk through something that a teaching, I guess you could say, that I use often in biblical counseling. And some of this stuff comes just because, you know, Chris is, is now the, uh, the associate pastor on staff. I don't think people know that. Oh, there you go. That's Congratulations, Chris. Yeah. Woo-hoo. If you want it, if you want it, like, what about CP? Or no, PC. Pastor Chris. PC. I was thinking APC. So associate pastor Chris. Like, uh, or APP. Yeah, you know me. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. Know. <laughs> comment on, comment <laughs> on social media about what you think Chris's new nickname should be as he tries to flip the script to a uh, bed making. I guarantee Pooty wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wes Mooborn, let us know what you think because your opinion means double what anyone else's does. Okay. So what we wanted to talk about is there's there, there are a lot of people who... Uh, even today, I saw somebody who is kind of struggling with assurance of salvation. They're struggling with believing that they really belong to God. Their past failures are always in their their minds. Their current sins that they haven't yet overcome are, are constantly at the forefront of their minds. And so they're struggling with assurance of salvation. And it doesn't have to be that you're struggling with assurance of salvation. This is, quite frankly, most biblical counseling that I do, this is a teaching that fits its way in somewhere. Because... Many of the issues that we're plagued with as Christians have to do with a battle over the mind. And you've probably heard me say this before, Chris, but I think spiritual warfare, first and foremost, is a battle for what's controlling your thinking. And I think that Paul has this in mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So I'll just, I'll read it in context. I'm getting to verse three, but I'll I'll read it in context here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, But bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So Paul here, having spiritual warfare in mind, I think, is talking about warfare. And how do we know that it's spiritual warfare here? Because he says, we don't wage war according to the flesh. Well, if it's not according to the flesh, then what is it, right? If it's not of the flesh, it's of the spirit. That's the contrast that Paul is constantly making in the New Testament. He says, The weapons of our warfare, so our warfare isn't fleshly, it's spiritual. And the weapons of our warfare, he says, are powerful, right? Have divine power to destroy strongholds. In terms of this language of stronghold, 
biblically speaking, I think what Paul's talking about here is when an enemy makes a stronghold, it's sort of, it's not just an enemy presence in your land or an enemy presence in your territory, but it's actually a strong presence, right? It's a fortified presence. It's something that isn't easily brushed aside. It's also that word means it's a staging area for future attacks into the area, right? Like that's right. You you make a stronghold so that you can then take dominion of the rest of the area, right? So that you can launch an attack over here or over there or whatever. So it's it's like gaining a foothold, right, in the door. So then he says we destroy arguments. So what are those strongholds? So that's the analogy of what a stronghold is. But what are these strongholds? What he says we destroy arguments. So if the point of them is to destroy strongholds and we're destroying arguments, then the strongholds are arguments or ideas that have embedded themselves in our minds. It says, and every lofty opinion, so arguments and opinions, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what I often say to people when they're struggling, and and you could struggle with whatever, right? We all know that when you wake up, it's not very long before you look in the mirror and the inner dialogue begins, right? And we all have a, a script that's, that's playing in our heads, right? Some people, whatever insecurities it is that you battle against, you might look at yourself in the mirror and not think that you're pretty enough, not think that you're smart enough, not think that you, you know, I didn't get enough sleep. Why'd I stay up so late last night? I'm such an idiot. I'm, you know, I have to do this today. I don't feel equipped for it. Like the narrative begins playing in our minds the moment we wake up. And one of the things that I say to people who are struggling, and, and this is struggling with insecurity, doubt, struggling with depression, struggling with worry, struggling with fear, whatever it is that you're struggling with, my first question is, do you spend more time talking to yourself or listening to yourself? Because the inner dialogue is often what the enemy is using to create strongholds in your mind, right? And so it's a stronghold when the enemy can convince you that you might not be saved because you haven't conquered this one sin. You might not be saved because that one sin of your past is unforgivable. It's a stronghold in your mind when the enemy can tell you you're too stupid to figure that out. You're too dumb to do that. You're pretty useless. You couldn't do something like that for the kingdom of God. You're not equipped to be a mom. You're not equipped to be a dad, right? Those lies that are in your mind, Paul is giving us a strategy for how to take those strongholds back. And so the advice that he gives is we take every thought captive, okay? So these are thoughts in your mind that create strongholds, which are ideas and opinions about yourself and about who you are and about what you can accomplish and all that kind of stuff. It says we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. One of the things actually when I was a youth pastor, I got a bunch of bracelets for the kids. I think it was Lance Armstrong was the first one to do those little stretchy bracelets. Yeah, the Live Strong bracelets. Yeah, those Live Strong bracelets. But then they started being everywhere. Remember, you could get like WWJD ones. Oh, yeah, Liverpool. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So those kind of stretchy bracelets, I went and got one for all the kids in my youth ministry. And what I said was, one of the first things when it comes to spiritual warfare and taking thoughts captive is the first thing you have to do is identify the thought, identify the lie. And so what I would say is when you find yourself in the middle of an internal dialogue telling yourself how much you suck, take that bracelet off your right wrist or your left wrist, whatever one it's on. I'm looking at Chris. It's on his right wrist. Take it off and put it on your left wrist. And what that's doing is it's just training you to identify when and how often you're allowing your thoughts to just run rampant. And I think most people are incredibly surprised at how often throughout the day they're just listening to the lies that are running through their own heads. You're not a good mom, right? Why'd you snap at your son? He's going to resent you. He hates you, right? Like there's so many lies that just immediately start going through our heads. And so what Paul is saying is take that thought captive. And then what does it look like to make it obedient to Christ? Well, if I say to you, Chris, don't picture a purple elephant, 
all you can do is picture a purple elephant, right? Yeah. And it's because it's hard for us to take something away in our minds. Before I understood women, and now I'm, I understand my wife completely. Now we're experts. <laughs> I remember just early on, my, my wife usually has, has trouble sleeping more so than I do. And she would just say like, aren't you thinking about, you know, whatever, like whatever it is that's going on in our life, or maybe there's a stressful situation or whatever. And I'm like, no. And she's like, how are you not thinking about it? I'm like, just turn your mind off. And she just didn't understand how that worked. And part of it is because when you say, just don't think about something, we don't understand what that means. We can't actually do that. Don't think of a purple elephant. All you can do is think about a purple elephant. But if I say, picture a white duck instead of a purple elephant. Now you have something that you've replaced in your mind. So similarly, when it says, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ, what it's saying is take that thought, that lie, identify the lie and replace it with truth. So now it's to you to go to the word of God and you identify. So you're struggling, let's say with anxiety. And one of the best places that you can go if you're struggling with anxiety is you go to Matthew chapter six, because Jesus has a lot to say about anxiety, right? And he tells us in Matthew chapter six, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not life more than food and not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air and they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns that your heavenly father feeds them. And he goes on and on. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so you have this idea that there's these verses that help you. When I struggle with self-control, one of the verses that I tell myself is in Proverbs, right? A man without self-control is like a city without walls. And so you have these verses that you replace the lie with. And so as you're struggling, as, as the inner dialogue comes in and tells you all the things that you have to be anxious about, all the things you have to be fearful for, you remind yourself, perfect love casts out all fear, right? You remind yourself that God is sovereign, right? And you memorize those verses that you're going to replace the lie with. And so whatever it is that you're struggling with, now it's on you to search God's word and find three or four scripture verses that whenever there's a lie, you identify the lie, you stop believing the lie, you cast the lie out of your mind by replacing it with some truth of scripture, Paul says in Colossians that uh, it says, set your mind on the things above. And the word that he's using there for set is actually an exercise term. It actually is is like, you know, when you pick something up, when you're exercising. And so he's kind of making this analogy that like you can train your mind like you can train your muscle, right? Like I can't bench press 250 pounds. But if I train my, well, I mean, maybe it's too late for me. (laughs) Maybe it's too late for me. But if I train my muscles theoretically and worked real hard and ate right and got enough sleep and all that stuff, then I could eventually bench press 250 pounds. And And the reason I can do that is because I've trained my muscle. And so similarly, you can train your mind. You can set your mind on the right things. Your mind doesn't have to control your thoughts. You control your thoughts. And this is actually why Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that it actually doesn't start as a heart thing. It doesn't start as a behavioral change. It starts with understanding something in your mind. And you know, you've heard me say this many times, that the way of transformation is head, heart, hands, right? You understand a truth of God's word. You begin to love that truth, which engages your emotions, which is the heart. And then because you know it and because you love it, it begins to work its way out through your hands. So that's sort of the nutshell teaching that I often give when people are struggling with various aspects of what controls their thinking. And people are generally shocked to discover that you're called scripturally to control your thinking. Jesus demonstrates this for us when he's tempted. Think back to the temptations of Jesus. Like one of the ones he says is like, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives on every word of the word of God. So he answers all of the temptations with scripture. That's right. What is he displaying there? Is that like when tempted, 
replace the word temptation with when you're doubting, when you're having worrying, when you're having anxiety, when you're having depression, when you're having this. To keep saying the word, yeah. flip the flip script the again. Script. Yeah. Flip the script, though, to what God says in all of those situations. You read Matthew 6, don't worry, don't be anxious. I think I'm worthless. Well, God, if yeah. you're in Are you Christ, not more like, valuable than sparrows? Right? Exactly. He goes on to say, right? Um, if Christ died for you, don't blaspheme what he's done by saying it was worthless that, he's, that he right. chose to save you. All of those things are like, that's how we remember. And that's, and that's simply like in a, in a real blunt way. That's just preach the gospel to yourself every single Absolutely. day. Absolutely. When, exactly. when, you, when you wake up and look in the mirror and start thinking, and I do, I do this all the time. You'll be like, man, I am good looking. Um, like, I know, like, <laughs> you are so like, good looking. When I wake up and I'm like, and but you, like we all have, all have doubts. You mentioned earlier, I just joined ministry. Well, that comes with a whole different level of self. Yeah. Like, am I even equipped right. to do what we're Do what I I'm, have anything to say to this person who's pouring <laughs> their heart out to me? Yeah. Exactly, right? The first thing that needs to be done is like, we need to take the thought cap, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we do that by preaching the gospel to ourselves. But, or you can even go to Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy. That's right. This isn't a work of us. This is a work of the spirit, spirit yeah. in us, right? A friend of mine told me a story of a, a funeral. You know, funerals, everybody gets up and says all the wonderful things about this person. Yeah. And the son of this woman who died got up and was like, my mom was, and he just ripped her apart for 10 minutes. Everybody's just like sitting there, like white face, just staring at him, yeah, like with daggers. Clutching their pearls. And then, and then he goes, but Jesus. And like, he wow. talks about this idea of like, but Jesus did this in her life and this in her life. And like, look at the beauty of our savior. And by the end, there's not a dry eye. I, th I actually think that was Paul Washer and his mom, to be honest with you, like the story is about. But anyway, at the end of that thing, it was like the idea, though, though, is like if you look in the mirror in the morning and you start thinking about like, I'm worthless, all the, all this stuff, like apart from Christ, you're, you're not wrong. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> but, like that's right. but like when you're in the faith, so that you started with, with assurance of salvation, though. So yeah. um, when we're talking about like people who are in Christ, like you can list off all of your negative qualities you you want but God, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, um, and so we just start with the gospel to yourself every, every single day. It's funny when you, like you talk about that, you take the thought, thought captive in your brain, how that automatically reframes the situation, right? Totally. Like yeah. how often do you have somebody come into your office? I know the answer, but I mean like how often do you have somebody come into your office and it's like, you know, I'm struggling with God's sovereignty because I, I went through a bad situation or yep. even, even horrendous situations. Yeah. But like, if you, back up the perspective like you can only trust that you can even get through that situation because God is sovereign to have like brought you through it to ordained it, ordained it for you it's for your good like like in the moment like without that like and that's simply transforming our mind to realize that like right it's eternal it's it's long term it's not right what's right in front of you there's there's that verse in Habakkuk right like if you could see the whole story of yeah. what God's doing you wouldn't in believe your life, it if I told you you wouldn't believe it and you wouldn't change a dot of right. it, which <laughs> yeah. means even though you're going to get in the car tonight and you're going to get smoked and be in the hospital for six months, knowing what God has planned for you, you wouldn't change it. Because only a sovereign God who's in control of all those things can promise that all things will work together for good. Exactly. Yeah. To do that is simply changing the narrative in your brain to the correct and the truthful word of God, right? Like that's yeah. what God says is true. Take that thought captive, take that worry, take that like, what if these scenarios, because like, Let's be honest. We all play what if. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, you know, this bad thing might happen. So therefore this thing, this, this, and this, and this. And then all of a sudden we're like, how are we in the apocalypse now when <laughs> like, we're just talking about a flat tire, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and not having the money to pay for it. We do that a lot. And what that's actually doing is it's robbing 
God of the sufficiency of his grace. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that, because that seems like a bold statement. Like, how could we rob God of the sufficiency of his grace? Here's how we do it. Notice at the end of Matthew 6 that I read earlier, verse 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying is, don't bring tomorrow's anxieties, tomorrow's worries, and tomorrow's fears into today. And quite frankly, just to make this very, very relevant, we have a whole lot of Christians, pastors, congregants, you know, all this stuff who are playing that what if scenario. Well, what if Trudeau does this? And then what if that triggers this? And then this happens and they take my kids away. And what if everybody gets COVID? (laughs) Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And look how that turned out for us. What if this, what if this disease, and we have no verifiable evidence that this is true, but what if this disease has a 10% mortality rate and everybody catches it? Oh my goodness, like based on that, let's shut down the whole world, right? Like that that's what happens when we take the what ifs and we live today with them. Jesus is actually drawing, I think, on something. Lamentation says, you know, though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. The story that comes to my mind is the story of the manna in the wilderness, right? So God gives his people manna in the wilderness. They have no food in the desert. And yet he says, every day I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. And manna actually means what is this? which is cool. Like, what is it? I don't know. Let's call it that. What is it? It's coming from this guy again. It must have been a daunting task to be the guy who's had to name everything. But yeah. like, what is it? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just call it what is it? But God had very clear instructions. Don't take enough manna for tomorrow. Why? Because I'm giving you enough manna for today and you have to trust that I'm going to send manna tomorrow. And so what happens when we live in those what if scenarios? What if this happens? Then this happens. Then that happens. Well, if that happens, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Well, of course you don't, because you don't have the grace to deal with tomorrow's problems today. The grace to go through tomorrow's problems comes to you tomorrow. The grace to go through next week's problems comes to you next week. Sufficient for each day, right, is God's provision of both joys and sorrows, the hymn says. So the idea here is that God tells us, I'll give you the grace to deal with whatever you're dealing with today. And trust that tomorrow I give you tomorrow's grace. But if you try to live in tomorrow on today's grace, you haven't received the grace that's necessary to live as a emboldened Christian trusting in the sovereignty of God in tomorrow with today's grace. And so we can't play the what if scenario. And that's why Jesus tells us, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Like enough stuff's going to come tomorrow. Don't worry about that. I've given you grace today. Live today. And I think all of this ties together because controlling your thought life is kind of the crux of how we live lives on mission because the reason this is such a, a massive spiritual warfare thing is because if the enemy can just keep us in our anxieties and fears, we're not on mission. We're just worrying about tomorrow with today's grace. We're not empowered and we're an impotent church. But if we're living in today's struggles with today's grace and we are trusting that tomorrow's grace will be sufficient for tomorrow's troubles and we're controlling our thought lives and renewing our minds and being transformed by the truth of God's word, then we're equipped to take on the tasks that God has for us day after day after day. You know who George Mueller is? Yep. Like, he's a great example of, of this. Like, he opened the orphanage and never prepared what yep. where they were going to eat and just relied on God to provide the food. Yep. Whereas, like, I think, we, I think we're trained in our culture and, like, particularly in North America, in the North American church, where we're like, we would actually probably shame him for bad stewardship. You know right. I mean, like, why would you ever just completely rely on God to do these things? You're going to fall flat on your face where it's like, I'm not saying like start a ministry and don't prepare at all. But I right. mean, like the idea is like, it's just so foreign to us to 
not try to rely on like well, the, the scenarios that could happen. Right. And, like, and, and then we wonder why we don't see God work in miraculous ways. It's not because the Bible teaches cessationism. I may have just offended a bunch of our viewers. It's not because of that. It's, it's because we don't see the power happening here and now. And when other people tell of the power, sometimes there's stories where it's being abused and the gifts of the spirit are being abused, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's just because we don't believe it. But the reality is, is that the gifts of the spirit were always meant for a church that's on mission, relying on God. Why does God need to work miraculously when you have car insurance, you have house insurance, you have money coming into you from child, uh, you know, whatever that is, t- child tax benefit or whatever. So you don't have to take a step of faith to stay home with your kids and homeschool them because the government's going to give you money for your kids. Right? You don't have to worry about if you live sort of recklessly, and I mean that in a good way, like recklessly is in, I should say risky, right? Like risky for the kingdom of God and something goes wrong. Oh, we got insurance for that. Don't worry about it. We live in a culture that has just put all these safety nets around us so that all the things that we might have to rely on God for, we can just rely on the government for. That's the heart of why statism is so evil. You like how an episode on spiritual warfare got to statism? Yeah, I assume that would happen <laughs> yeah. at some point. Um, Every- I'm just waiting for you to somehow tie this into post-millennial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I could, Chris, but I won't. We have a couple of millennial listeners who... Uh, I, who don't don't like how often actually um i just uh, literally forgot we were recording yeah <laughs> i talked uh i talked to uh andrew di bartolo this week the pitcher the pitcher from the new york yankees i'm just kidding liberty dispatch fight Love feast and a wonderful pastor and jolly old human being um, but he said that we should have him on the podcast because he's an amillennialist and he thinks that we uh we don't give amillennialists enough time on the microphone we would be happy to do that. And then I'm just throwing, I'm just totally giving you things like I've never told you off air, just like throwing them to you. How, like, yeah. Let's can, get, let's get can. Andrew on here and let's see if uh, what Gary North said holds true that all millennialism is really just the rest stop on the way to the post millennial highway. Okay. Let me, I don't mean this about Andrew at all, or, yeah. but it was funny. Uh, I have an all millennial friend and um, we were at dinner with, with a, a gentleman in our church and was just, and he was just like, all right, you got 30 minutes. Tell me about post millennial theology. And so like I laid out what I think. And then he turned to my alma and was like, you got 30 minutes. And now we're both very different. Like we approach just the way we tell stories and everything just different. Right. But it was funny. My wife, bless her soul after was just like, what's the difference between the two viewpoints? You know, you were like pretty practical. Like it was like, you know, there was meat on the bones and, and like the other one was just like, you know, it begins in a field with a wind and <laughs> just like, and she was just like, it just seems very uh, like ephemeral. It's interesting you say that. And, and obviously we know that there's good Christians who come to biblical convictions with differing views than we do, but we hold our views, you know, strongly and studied. And so we, we love having conversations with people who disagree with us. And so we will have Andrew DiBartolio on, but one of the things I always say, and, and this happens a lot, like when I first got to the church and Calvinism was the big thing, right? Like the sovereignty of God and in, in salvation, this is where the phrase came from. Actually, when I was convincing you of Calvinism, it was whoever leaves the Bible first loses. 
And so what happens a lot of time is, you know, you're talking, you're staying on scripture, and then the person who's presenting the other argument says something about like, well, that's, it just doesn't seem like God, right? Hit the buzzer. That's not scriptural. Show me the scripture, right? I think that we should all have those eyes. And I know Andrew, Andrew loves the word of God. Andrew loves scripture. None of that was about him at all. Yeah. So he'll, he'll come on and present a biblical argument, but I'm getting um, an idea for an evening of eschatology podcast. Do Do you know any Dispies? I could probably Google one. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay, we'll do that. Hopefully that was helpful, practical episode. I feel, like we, I feel like we derailed hard at the end there, but I'm fine with it. Yeah. Let's just leave it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Peace. All right. We'll see you next week.